Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Monday edition of The Yard. Not a great Monday. We survived the weekend. That's how it feels. We survived the weekend. Uh, Will Rogers a little banged up after a sack on Saturday. And so probably the news you guys are, are eager to know is uh, will Will Rogers play on Saturday? I am told that he will. You know, Mike Leach obviously does not comment on injuries. What we understand is that it is a AC joint sprain. Now, that is the same injury that uh, Tommy Stevens had. Now, Tommy got that against Southern Miss. What I am told is that Tommy Stevens' injury was uh, much more severe than Will Rogers. And that Will's, uh, it's a minor sprain rather than maybe a full separation. So that's kind of what we understand today. We shared that yesterday on jeanspage.com yesterday morning. And so if you're a Jeans Page member, you had that news yesterday. If you're not a Jeans Page subscriber, you certainly should be. Go to jeanspage.com, sign up today. The Mississippi State Affiliate for 247 Sports. I think you'll be glad you did. We try to keep it updated over there. We'll, we'll comment on rumors and injuries over there as best we can. So sometimes, you know, we can't get information, but in this situation we were. And so the, the bottom line is, is that we do expect Will Rogers to play. Will he be 100%? You're probably not. You know, that's the thing with these injuries. It takes a little time for them to get better. How great would it have been to have the bye week this week instead of two weeks ago? But it is what it is. We got Vanderbilt this weekend. Stayed a more than three touchdown favorite in that ball game. I don't know if we cover. I think we win. I, th- I think we win without any real trepidation, and we're going to preview that game later in the week. But if you're going to play Alabama one week, it's kind of good to get Vandy the next. Now, last week, last year's game against Vanderbilt, pretty competitive game. Will Rogers first start. Now, this is one of the things that we talk about, you know, talent differentials. You know, the, the difference between Alabama and Mississippi State pretty expensive when it comes to talent. And that's not throwing shade at our players. It's not a big surprise. Not a big surprise that Alabama has more talent than us. Well, they should. Nick Saban probably should be fired if he didn't. Speaking of being fired at Orgeron, no longer expected to be the head coach at OSU after this season. He will not return in 2022. He will finish out the 2021 season. Interesting. A lot of, a lot of talk that's out there. Now, it's interesting, too. And, again, I don't want to paint a big indictment here with a broad brush on the LSU media. But I've shared with you guys before, you know, we talk about there's homers in the media, and there certainly are. Maybe the biggest collection is Alabama. But probably the second biggest collection of homers in the print media are LSU, at least in this conference. And so it's interesting. All these stories come out after it's announced that Orgeron won't return. You know, I think those stories are a lot more impactful if they come out prior to that. I think that's the better part of journalism. That's what Edward Murrow said years ago. I used to have that quote around my office somewhere. I don't know where it is now. I've moved my office a couple times since I wrote Flim Flam. But it says the better part of journalism is telling stories that people don't want told. And so I just feel like a lot of these stories, if it had been my story, I'd have released it ahead of time. That's just me. That's just me. But a lot of stories out there at Orgeron, out there kind of doing some philandering, whatever, a lot of rumors, that sort of stuff. And so at the end of the day, he's gone. No matter what you think about Ed Orgeron as a person, 
He will no longer be the coach at Louisiana State University after this year. So best of luck to you, baby. Take that $17 million back down to the bayou. Have a good time. It's good work if you can get it. Man, I could be a bad football coach. Couldn't you? I mean, honestly, it's ridiculous the money we're paying these guys. You know, I thought it was a good point a friend of mine raised earlier, you know, about LSU. Three consecutive coaches there have won an AFL championship. It's a great job. Unbelievable fan support there, even in the leaner times. An incredible recruiting footprint where everybody in the state is pulling in the, in the same direction. You know, State and Ole Miss, we usually split the kids. Alabama and Auburn, you know, they split maybe 70-30 in Alabama's favor. But LSU, it's much different. You have one of the highest percentages of NFL players per capita in the state of Louisiana. And just about everybody in that state is pulling for LSU. I share this with you guys from time to time, too. It's not just about recruiting relationships with coaches that make a difference. You know, like if you're, let's say for an example, you're a kid, I don't know, what, what are you, Alexandria, Louisiana? That's a good place, right? I mean, of course you expect Baton Rouge, places like that. But let's say Alexandria, up there in what they call the Senla in central Louisiana. So a kid up there, let's say, you know, Joe Smith gets an offer from LSU. Well, you know, 90% of the kids in the hallway are LSU kids. They're all wearing LSU shirts. Hey, Joe, you need to be a Tiger. Joe, we'd love to root for you in the purple and gold, man. Hold that tiger, baby. You get that all day, every day. Wherever you go, it's LSU. You go over to see your girlfriend. Joe, her dad's a big LSU guy. I got LSU stuff all up on the walls and everything. Hey, Joe, why don't you come over this weekend and watch LSU game with us? And so it's not just telling LSU no. It's telling your girlfriend's family, no. It's telling all your classmates, no. It's telling all your teachers, no. And so there is this esprit de corps within the state of Louisiana where these guys, I mean, there's a tremendous amount of pressure. I interviewed Ben McDonald some time ago. And Ben says, you know what? He said, I don't know that anybody recruited me harder than Mississippi State. Ron Polk did a great job recruiting me. Took an official visit to Mississippi State. Ultimately signed with OSU, as you guys know. And Ben was going to be an All-American wherever he went. But Ben made a comment. He goes, Steve, you know how hard it is to get away from down here. And he's right. And that's not to say it's a bad thing. It's not. So when you have that in your favor as the head football coach at LSU, it's like, hey, I can offer this kid. And then I've got all of this, you know, peer pressure of a positive nature working in my direction. That's a really, really great deal. In some respects, it's kind of like that in baseball from Mississippi State instead of Mississippi. I mean, if you get an offer from Mississippi State and you play high school baseball in the Magnolia State, I mean, even the other people around you that may be fans of other schools, like, hey, I get it, man. Yeah, I get it. Go up there and be a diamond dog, man. Go win an AFL championship. Go play at Duty Noble Field. Go be a legend. Go follow Jake Mangum. But imagine that on steroids, and that's what you have with LSU football. And in many respects, baseball, but really, really football. Because everybody in Louisiana cares about football. Most of them care about baseball. They care about basketball when they're winning. And so it's a great job. It really is. And so LSU will get a great coach. Of course, you know, there's all these names that pop out right out of the gate. And let me just share with you my experience with that. Generally, the first names out of the gate are not real candidates. The first names out of the gate are generally 
college coaching candidates whose agents are trying to get them a better situation in their current location. So you put it, I always remember to LSU's interested in this guy. Well, maybe, maybe not. You know, so there's going to be some names out there. So I just kind of caused you to pump the brakes a little bit and honor my buddy Jake Wimberly. And kind of understand a lot of this stuff out there right out of the gate is agent talking rumors, right? Because you go back and remember when, when we got ready to, to replace Sylvester Croom, the very first name in ESPN reported this was Derek Dilley from Louisiana Tech. Well, Derek Dilley wasn't even a candidate for our job. But that was the perception. They said, okay, Mississippi State's going to go get Derek Dooley, who's done a decent job at Louisiana Tech, and he really hadn't. And Dooley serves as his own agent, but, uh, you know, get somebody to, you know, in, in the media to share that rumor. Next thing you know, even though he's not a candidate, he's considered a candidate. And the people making the decision are pretty tight-lipped. It's kind of like a kid that claims a, an offer. Yeah, I got an offer from Alabama. Well, next segment can't come out publicly and say, no, you don't. It's kind of like that when he's coaching searches. You go back and remember we hired Dan Mullen. You know, Dan was kind of down the list. We didn't hear a lot about Dan Mullen initially. And if you recall, Kevin Wilson was supposed to be the guy. If what I was told back then, Kevin Wilson turned it down, then we took Dan Mullen. At the time, Kevin Wilson was the offensive coordinator at the University of Oklahoma. They had the number one offense in the country. So give it a few days. LSU's not going to make a hire until after a regular season is over. It's interesting, you know, what Nick Saban, excuse me, uh, Ed Orr's right now 8-8 eight and eight since the NFL championship year. Is that right? Yeah, 5-5 five and five last year. First non-winning season in Baton Rouge since 1999, which is the final year of Jerry DiNardo. Then they go out and get a guy named Nick Saban. Nobody was even talking about Nick Saban back then. He was at Michigan State. He wasn't even mentioned. As a candidate, I was living in Baton Rouge then. And then all of a sudden, later in the process, after LSU fans are all despondent because they bought all these media reports, or we're going to go be able to get, you know, Vince Lombardi or whoever, oh, we're going to get Nick Saban. Kind of like when Les Miles came along too. A lot of people were wondering, well, who are we going to get? You know, Nick Saban's left us to go to the NFL. You know, we're going to go get, you know, Urban Meyer or whoever. You know, all these pie-in-the-sky names. And then all of a sudden, Les Miles pursues the job and gets a job and ultimately wins an AFL championship. And I would venture to say, too, to kind of speak to the, you know, as a testament to the job that LSU is, do you consider Les Miles and Ed Orgeron elite football coaches? I don't. I think they're probably pretty mediocre. I think Les is a better coach than Ed. Yeah, but these are guys, too, that kind of benefited from, you know, this purple and gold tidal wave. And so it is a great job. Whoever gets that job will have an opportunity to do really, really well. And, of course, the hot name right now is Lane Kiffin. I think he's the odds-on favorite to take the job at LSU. I'll be honest with you, I don't think it's going to be Kiffin. I, I don't. I know many Mississippi State people are hoping that because, listen, Ole Miss got a good football team. You know, Lane Kiffin's got an exciting brand of offense. And, and if you're LSU, you're thinking, hey, listen – we know the brand of athlete we can bring in here. We know we've got an entire state of people pulling in one direction for us. They're going to pack the stands out. They're going to help us recruit legally and perhaps illegally. We just need to get, bring a guy in that's got an offensive mind, put some points on the board, and we can go get Alabama. You know, I don't know if, if Lane Kiffin's that guy, but it makes sense that he would be a candidate. But I, I just I – I struggle to believe 
they're going to go get Lane Kiffin. Just, you know, that's just my opinion today. It may feel differently a week from now or a month from now, two months from now. But it doesn't hurt my feelings that, uh, you know, that his name is out there attached to this job. Could potentially be a distraction. You know, they got some big games coming up. LSU plays Ole Miss this weekend. Is Lane Kiffin auditioning for that job? You know, one of the things I look at, too, and we'll talk about the weekend that was a little bit later in the show, I think one of the worst things that ever happened to Ole Miss is LSU finding a running game. Tom Price had a school record over the weekend. Nearly ran for 300 yards against Florida. Not Florida A&M, not Florida International or Atlantic, against the University of Florida. And now you're going to go play this, you know, run poor defense of Ole Miss. Could be an awfully interesting ball game. Of course, we'll talk about that throughout the week. But uh, that's kind of where we stand today. But uh, best of luck, Ed. I'll miss Ed Orr's run in college football. I really will. Because Ed's such a character. And not intentionally. You know what I'm saying? It's like Ed's always good for a quote. I mean, just last week on the coaches show, somebody called in, asked him not to have uh, relations with his sister who was celebrating a birthday party. And Ed says, you know, down the bayou, we got a – we got a little fishing hole for people like you. You know, I don't know if that's not enough to fire him there. But it's interesting they're firing him without cause, which makes me think, too, that LSU's just ready to get this behind them. They don't want some big fight. They don't want to, pay, they don't want to irritate Ed Orgeron. They just want to kind of get it behind them. $17 million. $17 million. And I guess once you've won an AFL championship and signed a big contract extension after that title, you kind of put yourself in some rarefied air. And it always runs, certainly did. So that's kind of where we are. All right, let's take a look at some other things. But before we do, let's thank our good friends at Bulldog Burger Company. Great people, great food, great atmosphere, great service. You know, I get all these testimonials from people who say, hey, Steve, I've never been to Bulldog Burger Company before. I heard about it on your show, and I went. We'll definitely be back. And you should. A lot of people out there that want to feed you, give you less for more. They're charging a little bit more than they were before, Right? but the portions are smaller, not a Bulldog Burger Company. Very rare. I, I can't think of maybe one or two instances in all the times that I've eaten Bulldog Burger Company that I have finished the meal. You definitely get your money's worth at Bulldog Burger Company, and you should too. If you're looking for a great meal at a great price where you get more than you pay for, look no further than Bulldog Burger Company. Now, three great locations to serve you. Right here on University Drive in Stark Vegas, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, and then Lake Harbor Drive there in the Ridgeland Flowwood area. Go check them out today. You'll be glad you did. Find your own favorites. Have the spring rolls. Don't make you and everybody around you better looking. The best appetizer in Starkville proper, without question. And get that chocolate shake to go. But our burger company, not just a great place to eat, but a great place to work. And so if you're looking for a job, perhaps give those people an opportunity to serve and hire you. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right, let's break down the game. As ugly as it was, let's take a look here. And it was bad, man. We got off to a pretty good start, though. I mean, it's like Alabama wins a toss, they defer. I was thinking if we win the toss, maybe we defer. Like we did last time against A&M. But so we start out, and immediately Will is hot. We go right to Will, to Jaden Wally for 11 out to the 36. DJ runs for one, brings up a second and nine. Then we're complete to DJ for eight. Gives us a third and one to the first big down of the ball game. And what does Alabama do? They jump offsides, give us a first down out to midfield. First and 10, we go back to Wiley for 15. Now we're down to the 35. We're thinking, hey, hey guys, we're ready to go. 
We're ready. Then we have back-to-back incompletions to Makai Polk. One of those, one of those was a drop. The other was a miscommunication. And of all the things that I look at with our offense, that's the thing that bothers me the most. Six games in, we got receivers cutting off routes and the quarterback throwing deep and throwing out of bounds. That happened several times. You all saw it. That had nothing to do with an injury. For some reason, we were just not on the same page. And this is before Alabama kind of opened up some exotic defense and pressures. They were kind of running a base defense early on, and we were moving the football. And then what do we do on third and ten? We throw the pick. Just I don't, I don't know if that was a miscommunication there. It looked like Polk was behind him, and I don't know if Will read that short and Makai read it long. But we lay it up there. Josh Joe picks it off. Returned it for six yards out to the 35. Polk makes a tackle. But, you know, even with the pick, I know a lot of people think, well, I knew it was over then. I didn't think so. I thought, you know what? Hey, we were moving the football. We're getting guys open. We'll be okay. We'll figure it out. But still, a promising drive that ends in a turnover. And it really kind of, you know, I don't say that it sucked the air out of the building, but there were a lot of people ready to explode, thinking, hey, we'll get an early lead on Alabama. We'll be in this thing. So it was kind of subdued then. Well, here we go. They run Brian Robinson, who, who was really good. I thought we did a pretty good job against him, though. But that guy is a really talented back. He ran for three yards. Then we'll go back to Slade Bolden for five. Brings up a third and two. A chance for us to get off the field. And what do they do? They get behind that offensive line. Robinson then goes for three and converts a first down. We miss, we miss a tackle on the backfield here. And uh, he's able to get loose there and get the first down. First and ten. They go back to B-Rob for two. And then he's complete to John Mechie. John Mechie is one of those guys, too. I don't know that he gets enough respect. This is a guy that was kind of down the depth chart a little bit, played last year, but now he's the number one option at wide receiver. He had a good game against us. And so you second and eight, they go six, and they come back to him again on third and two. And we're bringing heat here, and they beat us. And Mechie gets loose in the secondary for 46 yards and a touchdown. That's the thing, too. Bryce Young, you know, it's one thing to read all the press clippings and watch the highlights on the SEC network, but watching him in person, I was very, very impressed with him because everything that we threw at him, he seemed to have an answer for. We got to him occasionally, but by and large, he stood in there and made some difficult throws. Okay, so again, we get a touchback here. We, we knew that's kind of how the case it would be. They were going to kick the ball away from Tulu or kick it out of the end zone, and that's what they did all night long. So, we go out to Marks for 12, who gets it out to the state 37. Then we go back to Marks again for eight, brings up a manageable second and two. We go, we hand it to Marks, and he gets a first down. We're already out to midfield now, first and 10. We're incomplete to J.J. Jernigan, and that was one, too. We just kind of had to throw it out there. It's basically an incompletion. You just throw it out there to avoid the stack. And Malachi Moore brought some heat there. We kind of floated out there to Jernigan. There's nobody out there. And even if he catches it, it's probably a negligible gain. On second and 10, we go to Malik Heath, who drops it. Drops killing us, man. It's like I, I read and hear all these things, but, you know, this is there is a lot of moving parts to this offense, and I thought we had some failures at every level of offense, with the exception of our backs. So the backs played pretty well. Third and 10. They flush Will Rogers, and he runs, dives forwards, gets the first down. And that's what we're used to at Mississippi State, right? We're not used to sliding quarterback. And then we, you know, with our depth at quarterback this year, it's probably best that you protect Will. But I thought Will, very competitive play here. 
We go back to Malik Heath for seven, brings up a second and three. We're doing great. We go back to Heath for six, who gets the first down of the Alabama 27. Swing it out to Marks, he just gets the one yard there. Then we're incomplete to Heath, incomplete to Polk. And then we end up kicking the field goal. Brandon Ruiz makes his return. You heard about it first here on the show. It's going to be a game-time decision. Ruiz comes back, does a good job for Mississippi State. He looked a little bit uh, peaked, shall we say, later in the ball game. Watched him walk off and kind of grab his leg a little bit. So maybe he's not quite 100%, but he gutted it out and gave us an opportunity in this ball game. So now it's a 7-3 game, and you think, okay, we're in this thing. We're a play away from really having some momentum. Well, defense goes out there and does a good job for us. We get Robinson on a one-yard gain, then it's incomplete to Mechie, and then Nathaniel Watson. Tremendous athlete, does a good job. I think he was essentially spying Young on the play. And Young tries to roll to his left. Watson runs him down in open space. And a good job by the Bulldogs secondary of not allowing any room there for uh, Young to dump the ball off and convert a first down. So it's a three and out. They punt it. We get it to 15. So you're thinking, okay, we're down 7-3 with the football. And both drives, we have moved the football with some success. Well, we make a mistake here on this drive. We run DJ for nine, which gets it out, you know, to the 24 second one. We're incomplete to Austin Williams, but the ball is broken up there. Third and one, we go out to DJ, and DJ gets a first down, and uh, really a great effort there. That, that guy really plays hard for us. So now it's first and 10 at 25, and this is one we kind of waggle right and throw back left, and the ball hangs up, and Jordan Battle picks it off and returns it for a touchdown. Not at all what we had, you know, planned. But and, and one of the things, too, again, this is a first down play. And, again, this is about the maturation of your quarterback. Don't try to do too much, especially on first down. You know the pick six we threw against Louisiana Tech? First down throw. Same thing here. Sometimes the better part of this thing is to show a little discretion, throw the ball away. And I know we want to go make a play and win the game, but when we've had some success moving the football. Let's not force the issue. We did here. Will made a mistake. He'll tell you the same. And they return it back. Now it's 14-3. It still didn't feel like we were out of it. And it was a very eventful first quarter, for sure. So we get the ball back at our 25, and then Rodgers is sacked for five yards. Byron Young from West Jones High School doing the honors there. We're complete to Makai Polk for nine. Brings up a third and six. And then they absolutely bring the heat here. I know they brought six on this play. And we just couldn't get to them. Will Rogers sack for seven yard loss. That one we did have we did have a couple sacks that were on Will for holding the ball too long, and those are basically covered sacks. But our offensive line got beat up a little bit in this ball game. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. They they played well against LSU, played well against AM, and that will get the attention of a great coaching staff. It's like, hey, we can't just go out there and do the things we need to do. We kind of got to dial up some things. And Nick Saban said in post game, they actually designed a different defense for us called Thief. And they ran a lot of that because rather than sit back in third and eight and let Will Rogers pick them apart, you know, like uh, A&M did, Alabama was ready to come after us. And they did. And to give them credit. What's interesting, I had some phone calls yesterday. I generally have some of those on Sunday kind of talking about the game. And I'm told that Alabama had not shown many of those concepts they showed against us in the last three years. Something completely brand new. And so it's so easy to kind of get on our coaching staff and say, oh, we looked unprepared. Well, you know, when you prepare and look at three years' worth of film and think, okay, we've got a pretty good handle of what they want to do in certain situations and they do something completely different, that's good coaching. 
That's good coaching by the other guys. You tip your cap, try to make an in-game adjustment, move forward. All right, so we end up punting the football there, and uh, they get the ball at their 40. Complete to uh, Byron to Brian Robinson for four, and then Robinson goes for nine to get the first down. On that first and ten, he goes a two-yard loss. Jack Harris with a nice play there. Jack Harris uh, played a lot of snaps, made some nice plays for the Bulldogs. It would be nice to see him emerge there. We need some more depth at defensive end. Incomplete then to, to Latu, which brought up a third and 12 situation. And we basically drop into cloud coverage there and play the ball in front of us, and they have to check it down to Slade Bolden. Martin Emerson comes up, makes a big lick there. So you've got back-to-back drives here where you've gotten a stop. 14-3, defense playing well in the first quarter. You had the one, the one play that Mechie runs for 45 yards, but it wasn't a bust. It's one of those high-risk, high-reward type plays. You bring the heat. They pick up the blitz. You're in man-to-man coverage against one of the better receivers in the country, and, and they get you. We get the ball back at uh, at our seven with 15 seconds to go in the quarter. We go to Austin Williams, and that's it for the first quarter. They give us nine yards, but actually, uh, I think it was actually a little bit better than that. That's what the official box score says. They give us a second and one to start the uh, the second quarter, but uh, we were close to the mark. We're not, we're not quite there, so it was really a short one. And then DJ runs for five. We're complete to Polk for 16 out to the MSU 37. We find Tulu for four. And one thing I'll say about Tulu Griffin and his body language, you can tell he's not scared of Alabama. He's not scared of anybody. Those are, those are guys you can kind of work around and you can win with those guys. We get a false start on Scott Lashley, which puts us behind the chain second 11. Uh, they, and then, then we have uh, – <laughs> so we're incomplete to Jaden Wiley on second 11, and there's two holding calls. There's one on Lashley, and I can't remember who the – Cam Jones, maybe it was the other one. They declined them both, which forces a third and 11. And then we're complete to Makai Polk for 12 out near midfield. First and 10, we try to go to DJ. Will Anderson Jr. batted the ball down there at the line. Brings up a second 10. We go back to DJ. It's a three-yard loss, and we get flagged for, for holding. So it's a second and 20 from our 38. We check it down to Marks, who gets, uh, who gets six. And uh, we end up punting again. And so, again, here we go. You know, we get out near midfield. We've got a, a promising drive going, and then we have some self-inflicted injuries here. You know, we just – you know, they, they dictated some of that to give them credit. You know, sometimes you can say, well, it really wasn't about what they did. It's about us. No, Alabama kind of dictated terms to us, and we struggled with that a little bit. Alabama gets the ball at their seven. Really good job there by Archer Trafford. 48-yard punt. Rolls out of bounds inside of 10. Uh, Bryce Young then is flushed, and we get him for no gain. Brings up a second 10. They find John Mechie for 17 off the right side there, out to their 24. Incomplete to Jamison Williams. That's a former Ohio State transfer. Back to Williams for two. Brings up a third and eight. You think, okay, let's get off the field here, and, and we don't. It's complete to Mechie, and they break it for a big gain, but much of that is is negated by the block-in-the-back penalty. It is still a first down, however. First 10 to third 34, and then B-Rob, one of his better runs of the night, runs for 10 out to the 44. Back to him for four. They bring in Williams, and I'm sure Robinson was probably tired. He gets two, and then they, they swing it out to Roydale Williams for seven and gets a first down there on the third and four play. Now they're in plus territory. Williams runs for three. They go back to Mechie for 10 to move the chains again. Brings up a first and 10 at our 30. 
Robinson back in the ballgame runs for four. Then it's complete to Holden for 19 down to the state seven. Robinson goes for five. Robinson goes for one. And it seemed like hey, we were ready to go there. We really, really met him at the line. Really strong tackle there by Nathaniel Watson. Fred Peters kind of helped clean it up a little bit. They called timeout bringing a jumbo package, a runoff left side, and, and it really didn't look fair. I mean, it really didn't. We just simply couldn't get off blocks there. And uh, they kind of manhandled us on the play. Now it's a 21-3 game, and I think we all kind of have an idea of how this thing is going to go. We get the ball back with 3.15 to go. Put together a pretty good drive here. Put together a pretty good drive. Didn't finish. Didn't finish the drive as we should, but we put together a pretty good drive. Will Rogers incomplete to Makai Polk Anderson in his face. They flag us for intentional grounding. We're still able to overcome it on second and 22. We hit Malik Heath, who gets 43 yards, one of the best plays of the year. And a great job of Malik Heath for high-pointing the football. Rodgers gets protection, throws it down the field. Heath just basically gets inside leverage there and then skies for the football, brings it down, and he's so strong it's difficult to kind of poke it out of there. Then we go back to Makai Polk on a deep out for 20 yards for another first down for the Alabama 24. We go back to Polk for 10, so we're rolling here. Yeah, yeah, we're rolling here. And then uh, second and 10, the box scores a little messed up here. Then uh, it's first and 10, not second and 10. First and 10, uh, Jaquavius Marks runs for 10 to get us to the 14. We go to Jameer Calvin, and he has kind of been a missing man. I, I, we need to find a way to get him more involved with his speed. We need to find a way to get him in open space, maybe perhaps against Vanderbilt. We take the time out there, and we're incomplete to Calvin. We give up a sack on the third and sixth play. And, that, that again, we got overwhelmed there. You know, and, and maybe it's a pre-snap read thing. One of the things that kind of that I got frustrated with later in the ballgame is once they had established the fact that they were going to bring the heat on third down, why aren't we going hot a little bit more? Why are we calling all these plays a little bit harder to develop? It takes longer for our guys to get downfield and, uh, and when you've got, you know, a front that's struggling a little bit with the athleticism of the Alabama front, you probably got to be a little bit quicker there. Now, the other rest of that story, too, is, is sometimes we did go hot and we throw the slant and then the receivers dropped it. So there's enough, there's enough blame to go around. We kicked the field goal there. Now it's a 21-6 game, and it's kind of like we're just kind of hanging in there. We're not threatening, but at the same time, too, it feels like, you know, we're we can get a play, we can finish a drive, we can get back in this thing. Now, you get a turnover, you just never know. But at 21-6, it didn't feel like the game was over, but it felt like Alabama was still very much in control. All right, Alabama gets the ball back under a minute to go. Robinson goes for nine, then complete to Robinson for no gain. Jet Johnson with a nice tackle there. They call timeout. Robinson then runs for 11 out to the 45. Incomplete to Latu, incomplete to Williams, brings up a third and 10. They make a short run, running gain for a couple yards there, and then the clock runs out. I don't know. To be honest with you, I'm calling timeout right there. I'm going to make them punt. I'm going to put on a punt block, whatever. But I'm, I'm not going to just let them get into the half. Because you know, when you're playing Alabama and you got a chance like that, they're, granted they're at their own 45. Now you block it, you're probably going to have to scoop and score. But I would not have let them just run the clock out. I would have called timeout. That's just me. And, again, that's not necessarily a criticism of the coaching staff. At this point, Mike Leach is probably ready to settle this. Bulldog fans, rodeo season is here. That's right, the Dixie National Rodeo. Get ready to roll, man. And uh, I remember being a kid, that was like the biggest highlight for us. My grandmother would get us tickets every year. 
And me and my brother would wear our cowboy outfits. We'd put our boots on, have our chaps, our vest, and we'd go up there. And just in case one of the cowboys got a little bit scared to get on a horse or a bull, we were willing to do it. Yeah, for sure. Guys, boots aren't just for going out to a country western bar and doing a little boot scooting. Maybe you got a little Texas two-step in your game. Tacovas can make you look better than ever. Absolutely. And here's the deal, too. That's the thing. The versatility of Tacovas is you can wear them somewhere nice or you can live life where you don't go gently. That's what Tacovas does for you. Yeah, it's a rugged, handsome boot. It's my favorite boot brand, and it should be yours, too. Be sure and check them out. Tacovas believes in Western for all people, and you can feel that when you go into their stores, when you walk in, you'll be greeted like family, offered a boot shine and a drink, and maybe even an adult beverage if you prefer, and you can get custom fitted for a new pair of Tacovas boots. You can get custom leather stamping or branding, whatever you need to make it feel somewhat individual. Look up your closest store at tecovis.com. But if you can't make it to a store, Tecovis delivers the most premium quality and most comfortable Western goods right to your door. Visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And you know what, partner? Point your toes west. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Team down. All right, so we get into the second half, and you're thinking, okay, if we can get a stop here, maybe we can stay in this thing. Well, we didn't. Took him exactly one play. Bryce Young complete to Jamison Williams, and then he outruns the Bulldogs' secondary. And it's interesting, too, like people say, well, you know, our secondary speed um, needs to be improved. That's true. That's absolutely true. I don't know anybody's catching Jamison Williams in open field, though, to be fair. Now when he had a couple blockers or two. It's not like it was just a foot race. The guy said his block, his final block's up pretty well there. And you know, at this point, 28-6, we all knew the game was essentially over. It was just a matter of what the final score was going to be. We get the ball back at our 25, which was consistent with the theme of the night. We're complete to Jaden Wiley for 10. Back to Wiley for 7, brings up a manageable second and three. DJ runs for four. First down. Then we're incomplete, but they call a P.I., over there, uh, you can't guard Tulu. You can only hope to contain him. And in this situation, Jalen Armour Davis held him. So 15 yards brings it to the Alabama 39. DJ runs for three. We go back to Tulu for 11. And again, Tulu not afraid of Alabama. That's the thing. You need some guys that know they can play with Alabama. You go back and look at those teams, those Jackie Sherrill teams that played Alabama. They knew they could play with Alabama. They weren't intimidated. Now, to be fair, those Alabama teams would lose to these Bama teams easily, right? But sometimes you get caught up playing the tradition rather than the team. I think it happened a little bit to us. First and 10 from their 25 were incomplete to Christian Ford. Then we're incomplete to Polk. And now, again, we're just miscommunications. We find Jaden Wiley for 17, gets it inside the Alabama 10 down to the 8. 
We decided to run the football there, lose a yard. Brings up a uh, second and goal from the nine. We try to get to Tulu. It's not there. And then incomplete to Makai Polk. And uh, they actually called intentional grounding here. I don't know that I agree with the call. I mean, they're, I think it's a little ticky-tack sometimes. You know, it's like if, if we're throwing it out there and we get it beyond line of scrimmage and it's in the direction of a nearby receiver, especially with pressure on your face, I think you got to just call that an incompletion. They did, and they called it intentional grounding. We might have gone for it there had it not been. We kicked a field goal, makes it 28-9. We're still down three scores. Because essentially the field goal doesn't help you here. I mean, it really doesn't. You, know, you, you score a touchdown there. You know, it's a, it's a little different ball game. Now you're within two scores. But you take the points. You kick the field goal because you never know what's going to happen. A lot of ball game left. Alabama gets the ball back at their 14. Robinson runs for eight, then goes for three, brings up a first and ten. Aaron Brule, we bring him on a fire, and he gets to Bryce Young. It's a big sack. Gets him behind the chain, second and 20. They check it down to Mechie, brings up a third and 14. And then they basically hand it off to uh, – to, uh, excuse me. We flush Bryce Young here, and he runs, and, you know, we basically just kind of cover him up there. Nathaniel Watson, who had a pretty good ball game for us, uh, makes a tackle. We force a punt. And this is where I thought Alabama really, really flexed their muscle on this drive here. It's 28-9, to and you're thinking, okay, if Mississippi State scores and you let them hang around a little bit, maybe something crazy happens. But Nick Saban, Alabama, said, nah, this ball game's over. We're going to go ahead and finish this thing out right here and now. They absolutely turned the dogs loose on this drive. Rodgers sacked for a loss of six. Second and 16, we find McCole Polk who gets nine. And in third and seven, they bring the heat again. Will Anderson gets us for a second sack on the drive. And now we're punting. And Archer Trafford, 46 yards. They muff it, and Tulu nearly gets on it. But uh, JoJo Earl is able to recover his own mistake there. And now they're in plus territory. You know, it's just it's one of those things right out of the gate. You know, it's like it didn't take them no time. Even though they were there 14, it's like you look up a couple plays later, and next thing you know, uh, they're moving the football again. That's exactly what happened. And again, we had a chance to get off field here. So first and 10 from their 16, complete to Matchy for 14. Roy Dale Williams in runs for two. They throw a nice route, and it seemed like Slade Bolden had his hands under it, but he did trap it. They review it. They overturn the call, and it's so crazy, too, and I want to make sure we get this on record. There were two penalties called in this ball game that were bad penalties, and the officials got together and talked and picked them up. This is another situation here. This was not a clear catch. I thought the ruling may stand. They re- re- reversed the call. And so there are a lot of times that we, you know, we get calls against us, against Alabama, and you kind of scratch your head and say, this isn't fair. I thought Matt Loeffler's crew actually did a really good job. We didn't do a great job. I did not think that we were beat by officiating by any stretch. Alabama's a lot better than us. That being said, I still thought the game was pretty well officiated. And I'm a guy that will get out here and complain and whine when I think we're getting the short end of the stick. But I thought in this ball game, we got a fair game. Third and eight. We've got him hemmed up, but Bryce Young gets loose for 13. Cam Young way down the field making a tackle there. That's it. Cameron Young is your, your nose guard. Line of scrimmage is a 32. He's making a tackle at the 45. Pretty good, pretty good effort there. 
Robinson then runs for four, incomplete to Billingsley. Sherman Timms in his face there. Third and six, and you got a chance to get off the field. What happens? We bring the heat. They find Robinson out in the open field. He's tough to handle. 51 yards later, it's a touchdown. And then it's just kind of a matter of what the, you know, what the margin's going to be. And again, Alabama was tired of playing with us. They were. We get the ball back at our 25. DJ runs for three. Then we're complete to Calvin for three. Brings up a manageable third and four, but we get a false start on Cam James. Back, Cam Jones, excuse me, backs us up third and nine. And then we're incomplete to Marks. And uh, again, pressure in the face of one with Rodgers. Archer with just a 34-yard punt this time. Not his best effort by any stretch. Alabama gets the ball back from their final possession of the third quarter. Williams runs for seven. Williams runs for 11 and runs for three. It brings up a second and seven at our 39. Williams runs for two, and then there's an illegal formation penalty, and that ends the quarter. So we begin the first quarter, fourth quarter, and we're like, the only question is, okay, are we going to go be able to put one in the end zone? Alabama's going to win the ball game. They're going to cover. They're going to win by more than we expected, more than we wanted. Can we go score? Well, Alabama proved that they weren't done scoring. Young complete to Robinson for nine on the second and 12. Third and three, he finds uh, Treshawn Holden for 22 yards. We get Robinson for no gain on that first and 10 at our 13, Then it's incomplete to lot two, and you're thinking, okay, maybe we can get out of here. Maybe we can get out of here and hold them to a field goal. Maybe their defense, you know, will stand up here. Bryce Young runs for 12. They said that he was out of it. They called it a touchdown, and I'll be honest with you, this is the, the one play – that I really thought we showed a real lack of effort. I thought we showed that we had a little quit in us on defense, and that, that kind of surprised me a little bit. Yeah, they're human. They are by, by every stretch. Okay, we're not, I'm not sitting here uh, necessarily being critical of our players, but on this particular play, we quit on the play. He gets into the end zone. They review it. They marked him out, I think, at the one. He was actually out at the three, and I don't know how, if you review it how you missed that. Both of those last two steps were out of bounds. At the end of the day, who cares, right? What's two yards going to make a difference? Robinson then runs for a two-yard loss. Then he runs for three for a touchdown. They kick the extra points, 42-9. to nine. So, again, it's kind of hoping we can go finish a drive here and put a ball in the end zone. We throw it out to Polk. I don't know if we're trying to run a double pass here. I don't know what we're trying to do. But this is well, beyond the line, well behind the line of scrimmage, so it's a seven-yard loss on the play. And then there is an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty called on Alabama. I don't know why you're doing anything in the unsportsmanlike variety when it's 42-9 to in your Alabama. 15 yards out to the 33, gives us a first down. We're incomplete to pull. We find Austin Williams for eight, which brings up a third and short. Jaden Wilding then catches one for four yards, moves the sticks. We're incomplete to Polk, and again, another miscommunication here, incomplete to Polk. We check it down to Marks on third and 10 for a two-yard loss. Fourth and 12, you know, think, okay, let's just punt this thing away. And then um, the gunner, Emmanuel Forbes, moves early, backs us up five more, and it's a 37-yard punt for Archer Trafford. So there's just been a lot of inconsistency with punting, and I'm not going to sit here and stump about punting all day. But that's one of the things we've got to get fixed because there's going to be some games down the stretch against these winnable teams, against teams that, that are comparable to us, where field position is going to matter. It doesn't matter in this ballgame, but it's going to matter against Arkansas. It's going to matter against Kentucky. It's going to matter against Ole Miss. It's going to matter against Auburn. 
37 yards isn't going to get it done. That's back-to-back bad punts. we got to get that fixed. So Tucker Day figured out. 9.58 to go. Alabama gets it at their 25. Um, Roydell Williams in gashes for 29. DeCamerion Richardson, uh, you know, makes a tackle there. But uh, I thought he did some good things a couple times, too, that uh, you know, he was kind of out of position. But uh, Roy Williams in runs for nine, runs for five, runs for five, brings up a second five at our 27. We get Trey Sanders for a loss of two yards. And next thing you know, it's a touchdown pass to Treshawn Holden for 29 yards. You know, the route had been on for a while, but now Alabama was spreading the ball around to some of their uh, their non-regulars, shall we say. 49-9, 6.20 to play. Just want to try to find a way to go put a ball in the end zone, right? So we're complete to Marks for six. Then we're complete to Ford for two. Brings up a third and two. Complete to Marks for seven. We find Christian Ford for 24, and Christian has kind of been sneaky good at times. He really has been. I don't know, You don't start game planning for him. I mean, there's nobody that kind of looks up and says, okay, we got to watch 24. we got to watch 24. But first and 10, again, at their 36, we get, we're complete to Calvin for two. We go back to Rufus Harvey for seven, and we, he, we hadn't had much uh, – Cause to call his name, but uh, Rufus got out there and played a little bit for us. Brought up a third and one. We run for two yards. We're down at the 25, and you're thinking, hey, let's go make something happen here. But we uh, we throw a pick. And I don't know. if it, We just kind of threw it up for grabs here. You know, waiting, trying to get a guy to go make a play and underthrew it. And Jordan Battle picks it off, returns it 29 yards to the Alabama 29. It just, you know, at this point, we're just ready to get out of here. Trey Sanderson runs for six and then for three. Then he breaks it for 20. They kneel down. Paul Tyson, the uh, grandson of uh, Paul Bear Bryant, takes the final snap. And the ball game is over 49-9. to Now, I'd like to sit here and tell you that, uh, hey, I saw this coming. I certainly thought Alabama was capable. I thought we would compete a little bit better. I think you guys kind of felt the same way. I think most of us felt like, you know what, we're going to have a tough time winning this ball game. But we at least thought we'd compete a little bit. I don't know that I expected a 2017-type game. Not the score 2017, but, you know, in 2017, we were the aggressor in the ball game. Aris Williams, Nick Fitzgerald really ran hard and gave those Alabama linebackers a lot to consider. But the reality of it is we didn't compete. And uh, there's a lot of reasons why. You know, when you go back and look, I mean, it's just a team loss. You know, it's not as simple, well, you know, this was a glaring issue. No, they, we got beat in every phase of the game. There's no doubt about it. You know, kind of looking at some numbers here, Will Rogers, 35 of 55 for 300 yards, three picks, no touchdowns, of course, the long of 43 to Heath, sacked seven times. The majority of those are on the offensive line. I'm not going to make excuses for those guys. Obviously, they saw some exotic pressures they've never seen before. But seven sacks will get you beat every Saturday in a Southeastern Conference. I would say two of these were what I would consider covered sacks, where Will maybe held on the football too long. I thought Dylan Johnson did the best he could. He and Jaquavius Marks both to help him pass pro. But we got overwhelmed. We did. And that's really been the thing we've been able to avoid all year. Even we've been against more talented teams, and we've been able to scheme them up a little bit. Uh, Running yards, 53 gained total and then Will loses 53, DJ loses one, so we have a net negative one 
rushing yards. And I still get tickled when these people say Mississippi State can't run the football. It's not that we can't. We just don't. When you look at what the running backs did, you know, DJ 7 for 25 with one one loss, so net of 24, and Marks 3 of 16. Uh, Marks averaging 5.3 yards a carry. Uh, DJ 3.4. So when we run the football, we're successful. But we didn't hire Mike Leach to run a triple option. We're going to run the air raid. Probably could and should run it a little bit more, but when the game gets away from you like this one did, you get very predictable on offense. Alabama really spread the ball around, uh, you know, pretty good bit. Brian Robinson, 19 carries for just 73 yards. So if if I told you at the beginning of the day, hey, we're going to hold Brian Robinson under 75 yards, you would think it was a very competitive game. Roy Dell Williams actually the leading rusher with 78 yards. And, uh, you know, much of that coming, you know, in the second half. That's the thing when you've got depth like they do, they just kind of keep rolling them out there at you. Bryce Young, 20 of 28 for 348, four touchdowns. If I'm if I'm a Heisman voter right now, he's got my pick. That guy's really, really good. Much better than I expected. John Mechie did gash us. Talked about him in the preview on Wednesday. He's a guy that's really elevated his game. Seven grabs, 117 yards, and the one touchdown. On the Mississippi State side, Jaden Wally, your leading receiver, six receptions, 64 yards. Makai Polk, seven for 59. So, again, we spread it around a good bit. Uh, defensively, Mississippi State's leading tackler, Nathaniel Watson, with 16 tackles. Fred Peters with 10. Fred also had at least three missed tackles in this ballgame, and two of those at or behind the line of scrimmage. Jed Johnson also with 10 tackles. Aaron Brule with eight. Good to see him have a big ball game. Uh, Martin Emerson uh, with six. Jack Harris, I mentioned him earlier. His most extensive action of the year, five tackles, one of those ATFL. So there you go. That's a ball game. And so let's never talk about it again. You, you guys okay with that? I'm okay with that. There's no point in us talking about it again. You know, the reality of it is, is we probably hope to be four and two at the midway point with Vanderbilt and Tennessee State to go. We thought that would certainly get us six and six, and maybe we can pull off an upset somewhere and get seven and five. We're three and three. We could still get to seven and five, probably going to have to upset a couple teams. That's just kind of the reality of, of where we are. So, again, let's never speak of this game ever again. Time for the top 10 list brought to you by CloseWithBlair.com. That's CloseWithBlair, B-L-A-I-R, CloseWithBlair, as in closing your loan. Blair tells me now is the best time to refi. Rates are low. Business is good. If you're looking to put your equity to work for you to consolidate some debt, maybe you ran out some credit card bills during the quarantine just trying to survive. Rather than let that interest not be of any benefit to you, turn it into this refi product where you can count that interest on your taxes. You've been in a bad situation. Let's get out of that. If you're looking to buy a home, he's absolutely the right way to go. Blair's in the top 1% close ratio in the country, nationally. Not just for Jackson, not just for Rankin County, not just for Pisgah, the United States of America. Fairway Mortgage, one of the top five lending institutions in the mortgage industry. So you're backed by a winner, not some subprime lender that's going to close your loan and then farm you out to somebody else. Fairway Mortgage will take care of you. Visit CloseToBlair.com for more details. If you mentioned to Blair that you heard about his ad on this show, he will pay for your appraisal. That's a great value. It's about a five dollars to $600 value now to get that thing done. So just by being a Loyal Boneyard listener and you mention it to Blair, then you will not have to pay those fees. And it's so expensive 
you're buying a house, refining a house. There's all these fees and sort of stuff. So anytime you can save a little money, that's the way to go. Give Blair a call today or a text at 601-500-2344. You heard it right. 601-500-2344. And listen, it is a complicated process. Work with somebody that's got over 20 years in the industry. There's a lot of people out there that's vying for your business. Go with a seasoned professional like Blair Chandler. Again, that's closeofblair.com, 601-500-2344. All right, you guys love 90s alt-rock. You do. The numbers show that. Bush does well. Goo Goo Dolls do well. Soundgarden does well. Pearl Jam does well. You guys love 90s alternative. And so, you know, we had the post-grunge era. You know, the grunge era lasted about 15 minutes. I mean, that's the thing, too. Oh, I love grunge. You know, it lasted like a summer, you know. I mean, really. I mean, it really wasn't a long period of time. It was very impactful on music. I mean, you've got a lot of post-grunge alternative rock bands today that were influenced by, you know, bands like Nirvana and Soundgarden, you know, Pearl Jam, the whole Seattle scene. But things began to change in the mid-'90s. You know, it was the thing, you know, the 80s was all about, hey, let's have a good time. Nothing but a good time, right? That was, that, that's the perennial 80s hairband song, right? Nothing but a good time by Poison, because that's really kind of defined that decade of decadence. The early 90s, we all felt sorry for ourselves. You know, we couldn't get dates in the 80s and all those, you know, great, you know, video girls. That's who we, that's who we aspired to date. We couldn't get them, you know, so we kind of relegated ourselves to coffee houses and wearing flannel shirts and horn rim glasses and things like that. But in the mid to late 90s, things began to change. Got a lot more optimistic in some respects, but there were some bands that really rose to prominence. So I want to give you my top 10 alt-rock songs from 1997. How about that? Music was in transition. A lot of things were changing. But there was some great music. And things were a little more optimistic, shall we say, in music. So here's your top 10. Number 10, a band that I don't know got their, their just due, to be quite honest with you. And they, and they sounded a lot like some of those early 90s bands. But it's Our Lady Peace. And I would submit to you the best song in their catalog. came out in 1997. It's a song called Clumsy. Clumsy by Our Lady Peace. Number nine, a band that I love. And Roy, we should put this band on the list. Maybe I'll do a top 10 list of these guys uh, later in the week or month. But it's live. And then the song for them is Turn My Head. Turn My Head. They had Lakini's Juice. It was also out there. But I like Turn My Head a little bit better. Turn My Head by Live. Love those guys. Love those first three albums for sure. Number eight, a song that was uh, a little different too. It was an alt-rock song. And uh, it's a band called Sugar Ray. You know, they were different. They weren't quite as rocky. They were a little more radio friendly. But I went with Fly. I just want to fly away. That's probably the best song they have in our catalog. Mark McGrath, of course, uh, was very, very part of popular culture with the rise of Sugar Ray. Number seven, and at times this might have been my favorite song of this year. It didn't. It wasn't number seven on the list. It depends on what day you catch me. I've actually uh, sung this song several times, karaoke, open mic nights, things like that, because I can still pull this one off. But it's Touch, Peel, and Stand by Days of the New. Now, if you don't know anything about Days of the New, they were kind of an unplugged version of Alice in Chains in the same vein as Alice in Chains. And then the singer, who was an addict, just couldn't keep it together. So they fire him. And then the members of Days of the New hired a new singer and put a new band together called Tantric. 
you guys may be familiar with Tantric. And maybe you say, oh, I didn't know that was Days of New. Well, it was. Kind of like Creed put a new singer together. It became Alter Bridge. Same thing happened with Days of the New. So there you go. Touch, peel, and stand. Because you are the one to want to. Number six, and this song, we, we ha- we've actually mentioned this band before on the Like Father, Like Son list. But it's One Headlight by the Wallflowers. And it seemed like that summer, that song was everywhere. I mean, you couldn't go anywhere without hearing that. I think a lot of people expected Jacob Dylan to be a much bigger deal than what he was. And maybe because of the fact that he's a guy that kind of came from privilege, maybe he wasn't quite as hungry, and I don't mean that in a disrespectful way. But there are a lot of starving musicians. They want it so very, very badly. They grind and grind and grind. Uh, so Jacob Dylan's been a little more artsy, you know. I mean, he's one of those guys, too, that uh, – what's that, that documentary, Echo in the Canyon? I watched that. You know, so he does some things a little more eclectic. But one headlight, without a doubt – the biggest song from the Wallflowers. Number five, we had some great female rock singers in the mid to late 90s. I mean, great, great. And this is kind of a post-Lilith Fair world, if you remember that, right? But Shirley Manson from Garbage was insane. Absolutely loved her, saw them play live. And I went with the hypnotic number one crush. You know, they had a big hit with I'm Only Happy When It Rains, which is a great track. But number one crush is one that is just very, very different. It's kind of in a PJ Harvey type vein. You know, got that deep driving bass line. I think you'll dig that one. Number four, saw these guys live at Bonfet in Baton Rouge down front. Had a chance to meet them after the show. It's tonic. And we're going with if you could only see. Now, I, I don't know that I could put a top 10 tonic list together, but they have some absolute bangers, man. I really like them. Again, they're radio friendly. A little more popular, I guess, you know, with the ladies just because of the fact they didn't have quite as much kick to them. But if you could only see, Batonic is your number four song. Number three, an absolute runaway smash. And I would say these final three were probably breakthrough tracks for these bands. And I think everybody knows these songs. They probably don't agree with the whole order. But number three for me, is Semi-Charmed Life by Third Eye Blind. I like Third Eye Blind. Again, don't know if I can put a top 10 list together, but uh, they had some huge hits, huge hits. And this is probably uh, the one that started it for them, Semi-Charmed Life by Third Eye Blind. Number two, Rob Thomas and Matchbox 20 kind of ruled the radio in the late 90s. It seemed like everywhere you turned, Matchbox 20 was there. Uh, love their earlier stuff. Rob Thomas, of course, goes solo. And then after the the the, uh, the track with Santana Smooth, you know, he, he did a lot more things on his own. Had a good friend of mine. That was her that was her uh, ho- her her Hollywood crush, you know, her celebrity crush was Rob Thomas. And I guess that's probably the case for a lot of you ladies out there. But I went with Push. Push from Matchbox 20. That's the one to me that I think kind of put them over from being kind of an underground band to being mainstream. Number one. We mentioned it earlier in the show. The song that started it all for the band Creed. It's My Own Prison. It's on that album. There's so many great songs in that catalog. But Scott Stapp really kind of bled his soul into music with this one. And I think Scott Stapp, in many respects, is kind of unfairly maligned because of some of his behavior off the stage. But the guy was a tremendous songwriter. Absolutely tremendous. Hey, why do you think Creed is so successful? I mean, it's not just because Mark Tremonti is arguably the greatest guitarist of this generation. 
But Scott Stapp was a good vocalist and a great lyricist. And I think he nailed it on My Own Prison. So there you go. Top 10 alt-rock songs from 1997. I've got something planned later in the week that uh, we'll do. I've got some urban R&B stuff. I've got somebody that I've been a fan of for a long time. We're going to do a top 10 of their catalog. How about that? A guy that's produced a lot of stuff. A guy that's been in several different R&B acts. We're going to do that later in the week. I've had a, a few of our listeners that have reached out and said, Hey, Steve, I love a top 10 list. Which you did a little more R&B. So I'm going to do that. And uh, what, what I have learned, though, is that more times than not, that the R&B lists just don't do as well as I had hoped. There's some some of these artists, I think, man, this will kill, and then it doesn't. And uh, that doesn't mean they don't deserve our respect. They certainly do. So that's coming later in the week. Maybe we'll do that one on Wednesday. We'll see how things go. All right, but that's your top 10 list again, uh, brought to you by CloseWithBlair.com. Next segment of the show brought to you by CampusBookMart.net. I was there on Saturday, and, man, it was busy. Got a chance to meet several of you. Sold a lot of books. Signed books all weekend, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Hadn't done that in a long time. A lot of you were here, and I thought, let's get out and go do some things. So Saturday I was there, and it's amazing the selection they have at Campus Bookmark. Stan and Miss Kathy Brown, lovely, talented, Susie Cheyenne, the whole crew there. Done a great job for you. Candy, you got to see her. Go, go for that, right? Just, just go and say, hey, can I see Candy? Oh, well, she works downstairs. That doesn't matter. I just want to see her. No, I'm just kidding. That'd be kind of creepy. Uh, my point being is that if you're looking for Mississippi State merch, look no further than Campus Bookmark. It is a hometown business run by hometown people. They're invested in Starkville and invested in Mississippi State. When we win, they're excited. When we lose, they feel it just like you do. It's not a place. It's just there to do business. They're trying to outfit the Bulldog family. So, again, visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays. And that's BSR. That stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. And that'll get you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. Any order less than $50, absolutely incomplete. Get, listen, get your NAFL championship merch, right? Go ahead and get it taken care of. Many of you said, ah, oh, you know, I, 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 I use this company or that company and the colors were wrong, and the size was wrong, and so shame on you. Shame on you. Work with our people in Starkville. They know what maroon looks like. They'll get you taken care of. Again, that's campusbookmart.net, promo code BSR. All right, let's look at the weekend that was in the Southeastern Conference. Again, a a great weekend of football, but... um, you know, we had to cover the Mississippi State game, so I didn't get to sit at home like you guys did and watch all this stuff. But uh, there were some things that happened that kind of weren't to script. You know, Auburn goes to Fayetteville and jumps on the Razorbacks. The Razorbacks come back, would take a 17-14 lead, and then Bo Nix absolutely takes over the ball game. Auburn wins 38-23. A bit of a surprise. You know, Basically had that one as a toss-up. We said, you know what, Arkansas's at home. They're going to figure this thing out. I'm beginning to think Arkansas might be a fraud. I don't know how you guys feel. That's kind of how I see it. Bo Nix, 21 of 26 for 292 yards and a couple touchdowns and threw a really bad pick. Threw a really bad pick, or it had been worse. Tank Bigsby, 18 carries, 68 yards. So pretty good game for those guys. K.J. Jefferson, 21 of 35, 228 yards, a couple touchdowns. But here's what happens. You get some separation from Arkansas, 
you make KJ be a quarterback to kind of take the dual threat option away from him. And that's what happens. Auburn now five and two and two and one in the league. Arkansas four and three, one and three in the league, and has lost three in a row. They were a top ten team. They've lost three in a row. I hadn't seen the polls today, but it's, I'm certain they're unranked. Florida, another team that was expected to do really well this year, unranked. Florida goes down to Tiger Stadium, to Death Valley, in the basking glow of the Baton Rouge Sun. They get beat 49 to 42. It is absolutely incredible to think about the fact that uh, Dan Mullen always seems to find a way, always seems to find a way to lose a game he shouldn't. Florida got up early. Next thing you know, it's 21 to 13 at the half, and Florida needed a Hail Mary pass on the final play of the first half to stay within a score. I still don't understand how you let a guy get that that open. How Nobody had the boundary. You're just going to give him the back corner of the end zone? That makes a lot of sense to me. And then Florida comes out, kind of gets things going with Richardson at quarterback, and I think they probably found their guy. Emory Jones probably going to be signaling into plays uh, kind of moving forward. But ultimately, in that fourth quarter, LSU found a way to win, convert a big fourth down late. They got nothing to lose, right? And they win 49-42. to Incredible. Absolutely incredible game by LSU. Richardson ends up 10 of 19 for 167 yards, three touchdowns. Did have a couple of big picks there. The story of the game is Tyron Davis-Price. 36 carries, 287 yards, and three touchdowns with long of 40. They figured some things out. I expect that running game to continue this weekend when they go to Oxford. I'll let you know how I feel about the game as we get a little bit closer. But I think it's bad news for Ole Miss that uh, those guys have kind of figured out how to run the football again. I mean, that's that's the worst thing that could happen. And, and we talk about Ed Orgeron having his back against the wall. And, and unfortunately for LSU fans, he, he was a little bit too comfortable in that corner. But you get a big win on Saturday. And again, you can kind of enjoy the season now because, like, you don't have to live with all this week after week as is Orgeron being fired. Now you know he's gone, and your administration's looking for a coach. So now you can say, "Okay, we'll get behind you here. Let's go win some games." Kind of go out on a winning note. A and M all over Mizzou, thirty-five fourteen. Thought Mizzou might score a little bit more. I'm not the least bit surprised that A and M didn't have a hangover. Not the least bit surprised. Now that team, they got some veterans on that team. And that's a thing, too, that I've learned, too, is good running games never slump. They just don't. When you got an NFL back like Isaiah Spiller back there, all you got to do is block a little bit, and he'll lead you to a victory. Uh, Georgia takes down Kentucky 30-13, to and much like playing Alabama. And I've seen some social media commentary, people like, oh, I knew Kentucky wasn't for real. That's unfair. You know, I'm not a Kentucky fan by any stretch. I think they're a very mediocre program in many respects, kind of the Mississippi State of the East. But you can't judge Kentucky by how they play Georgia because they lost to Georgia. Georgia's going to beat everybody. And so it's interesting, you know, to see the dynamics. And Kentucky, I think, still has some games that they can lose. But, you know, listen, they hung in there and fought for a little while. The Georgia running game finally got to them. Georgia's just so athletic on defense. There's just not much room to operate out there. They just, they're not going to make many mistakes. And when they do, they're athletic enough to overcome a lot of them, especially when there is a talent differential there is between George and Kentucky. And if you look at this thing with Kentucky, too, I mean, you know, Lexington has been very patient with Mark Stoops. You know, it took a couple years, I guess, to kind of get their culture built. 
then, then all of a sudden you're a bowl team. Now, okay, now, so we're a Tennessee bowl team. Well, then you build and build and build, and you get to the end of a town cycle. Well, now, now, we're, a, now we're a Florida bowl team. Now we're going to the Outback Bowl. And so the thing which Stoops has done is they've kind of gotten off that roller coaster where it's, oh, we're three and nine one year, six and six, eight and four, three and nine. Six and six, eight and four, three and nine. They've kind of gotten off of that. But it's not fair to judge them by how they performed against Georgia. Now, if they had, if they had you know, lost 30-27, I think it had been okay to say, hey, maybe Kentucky's for real. But just the fact they lose this ball game to the number one team in the country, the way in which they did, I don't think you can, uh, can judge them too harshly. South Carolina squeaks by Vanderbilt. And Shane and them needed a win, and I think they may have probably gotten their last one. Vanity now two and five, zero and three in the SEC. South Carolina four and three, one and three. I don't know where you get another win, but South Carolina gets up fourteen three in this ball game, and you think, oh, this thing is over. It's over. Vanderbilt finds a way to pull it within a score at the half. They take the lead in the third quarter. That's right, seventeen fourteen, and then South Carolina finds a way to win in the fourth quarter, twenty one twenty. It's pretty crazy. And South Carolina, of course, has some quarterback issues. You know, Zeb Nolan comes in and uh, you know, throws a touchdown pass there late in the ball game to win 21-20 with 37 seconds to go. I mean, the fact that it got that close says a lot about South Carolina, but it also, too, should kind of serve as a bit of a harbinger of things to come for Mississippi State. You can't just show up in this league and expect to win. you got to get out there and play. Now, South Carolina not especially talented, they're going to need a couple wins somewhere to get a bowl game, and I don't think that's going to happen. Five and seven is probably the ceiling. Probably looking more like four and eight. But uh, this is one that I'm sure Vanderbilt walked away thinking, you know what, we should have won. They had a lead in the fourth quarter and let it get away. Defense didn't hold up. And, uh, this, again, we're going to Nashville, and I'm sure that Clark Lee is telling his kids today, we can win this football game. So they're, they're not going to come out there thinking, hey, Mississippi State's going to overwhelm us. What have we done to give them any indication? that we're going to do that. Not to mention, Vanderbilt probably feels like they should have won the game last year in Starkville. If Marquis Spencer doesn't you know, pick a pass off when he drops back in his own blitz, we might be having a different conversation last year. But the reality of it is we got to go win this ball game. We are the more talented team. We need to go out there and get a start, but we're not going to be able to quit. We're not going to be able to just start coasting. As Vanderbilt showed against South Carolina, they didn't quit. Ole Miss and Tennessee, what a wild game this one proved to be. We didn't get this. I got to see the very end of it, you know, because as soon as we got done with our game, we're kind of rushed off the post game, and you come back, and, and uh, it's an insane game. It took forever and a day. I, I read a stat. I haven't verified this, that there were like 31 injury stoppages for Ole Miss. That just seems to be really high. But what do you do about it? How do you flag somebody for that? You know, if it's an injury, what if they really are injured? Like, oh, there's been too many of these. Let's throw a flag for delay of the game or whatever. What if a guy's really injured? I mean, so it's like the officials are kind of in an impossible situation there. But to have that many is interesting. You know, I know in soccer, like if you fake an injury and you, you come back in, they'll yellow card you if you were faking, if, they, if the official believes you were faking. Maybe there needs to be some rules in place. If a guy's banged up or whatever, maybe he's got to miss two plays. Maybe he's got to miss the remainder of the possession. I don't know. It's a slippery slope when you're dealing with injury. They had the, the weird play where uh, Tennessee put a lot of pressure on Matt Corral, too. And they stripped the ball from him and returned it for a touchdown. 
And they bring it back and say his forward progress was stopped. I don't know how a guy has forward progress when he's in the pocket. And it's not a run play. You know what I'm saying? He's, it's, an, it's a passing play. And if you wanted to rule him in the grasp or whatever, okay, I guess I kind of get that. But, uh, again, Mark Carl's crew having a really, really bad year. And they have the situation at the end of the ball game where it looked like in live time that the Tennessee tight end was at the line to gain. Now, this may surprise you coming from me. I thought the spot was wrong, but I didn't think he got the first down. I thought he was about the length of the football short because he had the ball kind of tucked down by his chest. It's not like he if he had reached the football out, he absolutely makes it. If he has it up by his helmet, he absolutely makes it. But instead, he's got it tucked, which is what we teach him, right? He's got it tucked against his chest, and I thought, he, I thought he was short. I did think the spot was bad. I didn't think it was bad enough that it cost him a first down. And then all chaos breaks loose in Knoxville. Now, nobody in Knoxville cares what Steve Robertson thinks, but I'm going to tell you, there's no place for this in college football. I mean, and it, here's the thing, too. I, I love the righteous indignation from some. They're like, hey, well, this could never happen at our place. Well, you, know, you don't have to look long. You know, Mississippi State, we had the deal against Kentucky a few years ago. You remember this? A few years ago in, in, in basketball under Stansberry? It's been several years ago now, I guess. I'm getting old. You know, call goes against us, and then some, some people throw the water bottles. That happened here. Wasn't too long ago, I remember, we went and played at Georgia in basketball. And remember they had the little pound puppies, and they all threw them on the court? And I not even mentioned what's happened at Ole Miss before. You know, I mean, it happens everywhere. And so for these people to say, oh, that, you know, stay classy, Tennessee, well, you know, let's not be quite so critical in that respect. Let's not be hypocrites about it. But across the board, there is no room for that in college of athletics. It's just there's not room for that. That just simply can't happen. And from what I understand, Greg Sankey in Tennessee, they're going to use some video stuff and try to track down some of these people. And there are going to be some some consequences. So we'll see how that happens. And uh, I I fully suspect that there will be some consequences. It's going to be difficult, but there will be some people that I suspect will be punished. You can't let this continue. You just can't. Because if you just say, well, you know, it's just they were frustrated. You know what? It's a borderline call. And, yes, there were some bad calls in it. And I think maybe the bigger issue is, is why does the SEC keep trotting Mark Curls and his crew out here? You've had three games at least where there has been controversy involving this same crew. Why does that keep happening? As I said on Twitter, nobody is that unlucky. Nobody. How does that keep happening? You say, well, the Memphis thing happened. It was an inadvertent, you know, signal. And then Georgia State is playing Auburn. It looks like they're going to get a stop. And you give Auburn a first down on a ball that clearly hit the turf. And you review it. And then you have this deal at, at Tennessee and Ole Miss. You know, and like I, I commented yesterday, and, I, and a couple of Miss people said, I think we had like 15 penalties against us. And let's look at that maybe here for a second. If I could find the box score. Uh, you know, were there a ton of calls in that game? I, I don't know. Again, I, I didn't get a chance to, uh, to watch it. But – you know, I just don't understand how this continues to happen. It's like every time there is some major controversy, shockingly, it's the same crew involved. And I know some Florida people were complaining about them on Twitter too. I mean, it's like, I just don't understand. We can't do better than this. You know, that's the thing I don't understand. We can't do better than this. 
I think we can. I think we have to. I think we got to figure this thing out. It doesn't make a lot of sense you know, to keep rolling this thing out here over and over and over and over again. It's like, well, let's just, you know, let's just, maybe they'll get better this week. They're not getting better, Greg. They're not. They're just not. Let me look here and see if I can't find these penalties. It's like there's so many people now that have these box scores that are incomplete box scores. You know, they don't, they don't have the full thing out there. So you got to go to the official site, which is what I probably should have done in the first place. But let's, let's be honest about this too, Mississippi State people. Ole Miss got a good football team. They do. As much as we hate it, the reality of it is they got a good football team. I did not think that they would be able to play as well as they did defensively. Now, granted, Tennessee helped them some. They're a good football team. And Matt Corral's got some clutch in him. The kid does, you know. Be glad to see him leave. I mean, he, he has been better than I expected him to be. And that's the honest to goodness truth. So sometimes you got to give the devil his due. They've done a good job. There's no, you know, if, ands, or buts about it. You know, we can say whatever we want to. You know, of course, the egg ball, you know, still matters. You know, you just never know, you know, what's going to happen. But let's look here at these penalties here. If we can find them. Rolling up down the box score. Yeah, there wasn't 15 calls. Ole Miss flagged 10 times in the ball game uh, for, what, 79 yards, 75 yards, and Tennessee 6 to 48. A lot of offense in the game, as we expected, 510 yards from Ole Miss and 467 from Tennessee. But, you know, I just wonder, you know, why did Tennessee ever get away from running the football late? I mean, I, again, I haven't had a chance to go back and watch the game, but there's a bigger issue here than just the Ole Miss-Tennessee game. The, the, the issue is the SEC has got to get this fixed. they got to get it fixed, and that's not in any way to justify the actions of those Tennessee fans that threw those things. Because here's the deal. is a guy that has spent years on the sidelines – there are a lot of people down there, many of which don't need to be there, but there are a lot of people down there that are, you know, they're college kids. There are a lot of college girls down there. You know, the times that, you know, when things are somewhat normal, they're working for marketing. They're working for game day management. They're working for whoever. And so there are a lot of people out there just doing a job, not to mention all the people that are here, uh, whether they be, you know, freelance photographers or Maybe people working for whoever's broadcasting the game. They're just people doing a job. They got nothing to do with what's happening on the field. They don't call a play. They don't call a penalty. And you're going to start throwing stuff and putting those people at risk. People say, well, Steve, it's just water bottles. You ever been hit by half a water bottle from about 50 rows up? I haven't. I don't want that experience either. And then the guy brings the French's mustard. I mean, who brings mustard into the ballgame? I can understand maybe – you bring it to your tailgate, but you bring it in a stadium. That's weird. And then a guy threw a golf ball and hit Lane Kiffin. I mean, listen, I don't care what you think about Lane Kiffin. I don't care if he's your former coach or not. I know that he left Tennessee in a really bad spot. There's no justification for any of that stuff. And, again, I'm not going to belabor the point. And Greg Sankey and the SEC has to do something, and they absolutely will. And I'm sure we'll find out later this week. I don't know if that – you know, maybe they just decide, you know what, hey, we're going to punish everybody. The students can't come back. And I've read some reports, too, that a lot of the stuff, didn't, it didn't start with the students. It started with the upper deck. And so that's going to be a very laborious job for whoever is involved kind of identifying these people. It's okay. It's section, you know, 750 and row two, seat three. And you get a hold of that guy and you say, I sold my tickets. What do you mean you sold your tickets? We, we found your picture on Facebook. It looks just like you. I mean, can you imagine the effort that's got to go into that? It's going to be a lot of people. So we'll see how things go. 
really see how things go. But, uh, again, give Ole Miss credit. It's a big road win for them at Tennessee, and that should be the conversation today, but it's not. It's officiating. It's the ugly incident that happened at the end of the ball game. And, you know, give Ole Miss – again, give Ole Miss credit. As much as we don't want to, guys are playing well. Defense made just enough stops uh, late. But the reality of it is they went up there and they won the ball game. And, uh, you know, listen – I thought that they would probably lose to Arkansas. They didn't. They found a way to gut it out late. Defense made some plays late. And, of course, K.J. Jefferson throwing that ball away late helps too. But, you know, we knew it was going to be a wild ball game. It was. I thought they would struggle on the road at Tennessee. They won the ball game, found a way to win the ball game late. The reality of it is, is this is a team, too, that is, you know, they have found some fourth-quarter magic. Now, this LSU ball game at Ole Miss, I think, is a real difficult one for them. And, again, he said, well, Steve, you know, you're just kind of hating on Ole Miss. I, I think Ole Miss can't run the football. Excuse me. Ole Miss can't stop the run. LSU is going to be able to run the football. Ed Orgeron will have LSU so jacked up for that ball game. And they're not going to quit. Those guys aren't going to quit. You know, they'll see you at a chance to go do something. And so – you hear a lot of people looking around saying, hey, you know, we need Ole Miss to take a loss somewhere just so we can breathe a little bit easier because, you know, what if Alabama loses a game? And all of a sudden, you know, this ends up being a three-way tie or something for first place. And, you know, that depending on how the tiebreaker falls, Ole Miss could go to the West. They could go win, go to Atlanta by winning the West. And so I, I think this is a, a, an interesting stretch here for Ole Miss. You get LSU at home, then you go to Auburn, who is kind of sneaky good. This kind of depends on what day you catch them. Then Liberty goes to Ole Miss, and there are a lot of people thinking, oh, well, Hugh Freeze will cook up something. Liberty's not going to have the athletes to run with that Ole Miss offense. And then A&M goes to, to Ole Miss. That could be a huge, huge game in the SEC West. So three of the next four, you know, for Ole Miss, in many respects, toss-ups. But uh, based on what we've seen in recent weeks, you know, there's reason to believe they should win a couple of those ball games. One would think. Final segment of the show brought to you by Portico. A great residential development just off the campus of Mississippi State. It's 1.1 miles away. If I was moving to Starkville now, that's where I'd move. Without question, that's where I'd move. I'm living out in the sticks now. You know, one of these days I'll fix this place up and sell it. I might move to Portico. You could be my neighbor. How about that? Be Mr. Robertson's neighborhood. But I'm not doing it yet. Maybe you can. Now, if you were looking to to move now... You're not going to be able to get in right now because phase one, all those homes are gone because it has become such a popular destination. Now, phase two, we've already got three lots sold in phase two. So it's not like you can just kind of sit around and say, yeah, I'm just going to wait. No, because what's happening is people are picking out their lots, picking out their house plans, and then the Portico group is building them to spec. How about that? You deserve new construction in your life. And I understand people say sometimes it's a stressful undertaking. You know, work with Brooks Bryan. Our friend Brooks Bryan, he'll take care of you. Former Diamond Dog, Brooks Bryan. Brooks came to me a while back say, hey, listen, I think this is a great opportunity and uh, a great place for people to live. And it is. Very easy to find. You turn off 82 on a 12. You make the very first right. Next thing you know, you're at Portico. Again, I told you, 1.1 miles from campus. And you're on the best side of campus. You're on the quiet side of campus. You got that neighborhood market right out there for you. You don't have to go all the way across town and fight traffic on 12 or take the bypass to go to the big Walmart. You get home from work. It's, oh, it's got to go get some milk. 
Last thing I want to do is go make that journey, fight all that traffic. No, you just leave your neighborhood and cross 82. Boom, there you are. Give Brooks a call today, 601-416-8075. They're starting with two-bedroom, two-bath homes, going up to four-bedroom, four-bath home. Whether it be your primary residence or an investment property or just your ball game weekend retreat, Portico is the place for you. Make Portico your next move. All right, let's take a look now, and uh, we'll look in-depth at Vanderbilt a little bit later in the week uh, on Wednesday. But I wanted to go back to 1999, one of Mississippi State's best teams, especially defensively. It was a great Mississippi State team. We're coming off winning the SEC West in 1998. Expectations were through the roof. And so we had Vanderbilt. We had to go to Nashville that year on October the 2nd. What's interesting about that is beginning of the year, they played Alabama, who was ranked 20th at the time. Alabama eventually wins the SEC that year. Vandy's in the ballgame. They lose 28-17 at home. But everybody thought, hey, Woody Woodenhofer's got these guys going. You know, Alabama's still Alabama, and it wasn't, we didn't think a great Alabama team then. They ended up having a really good year. But it was, a, it was kind of an eye-opening opener for them. People were like, hey, listen, they may have this thing kind of figured out. We'll see. The next week they play Northern Illinois, and they beat them 34-31. They go to Oxford, and they beat Ole Miss 37-34. They go to Duke, and they win at Duke 31-14. So you got a couple of big road wins right out of the gate, and you start thinking, if you're Vandy, you start counting games, thinking, okay, let's find a way to get to a bowl game. You know, we've got the Citadel coming up later in the year. It's a non-conference game, so that should get us to three. got to find three other games somewhere to be bowl eligible. Now, Mississippi State, of course, again, we're coming in off that great 1998 year where we win the West. We also lost to LSU at 41-6 that year, 98. Still found a way to win. Well, we go into that ball game, we're undefeated and ranked 16th in the country. We had beat Middle Tennessee State 40-7, beat Memphis 13-10. Pretty crazy game there. Brian Hazelwood kicks up, I mean, like a 51-yard field goal to win the thing. It, it, it should never have been that close. It was. We beat Oklahoma State 29 to 11. I remember Dante Walker and Desenzo Miller having really big plays in that ball game. South Carolina comes to our place. We beat them 17 nothing. So we begin the year on a four-game homestand. We're going to Nashville for the first time, first road game of the year. And many people build that game in the Nashville media as the biggest home game in Vanderbilt history because they really thought they were going to have a big year. We were undefeated defending SEC West champs. So it was going to be a big crowd. It was going to be a big atmosphere. And there were a lot of people that said, you know what, Mississippi State better be careful. And the game did not go in any way like they thought. I'm going to give you a few highlights here. We win the ball game 42-14. to We had six sacks on the day, forced three turnovers. One of them was a pick six, I believe, by Ashley Cooper. It was absolutely insane how we dominated this game from start to finish. Mississippi State, number one in defense in the SEC at the time, and sixth in the country. We held Vanderbilt to just 158 yards in the game. 158. That's getting it done. Jackie Sherrill said at the time, Vanderbilt came out. They tried to do some things. They had a good game plan, trying to take advantage of how we line up, but our kids are awful quick. Kind of goes back to what we're talking about about Alabama. Doesn't matter how much you scheme. Doesn't matter how much you prepare. You know, sometimes the other guys are just a little bit better. 
Uh, Greg Zalman was the uh, Vanderbilt quarterback. And uh, they, just, just you guys know, too, I'd forgotten about this. They wore gold jerseys in the game for the first time in 10 years. M- made it a special event, right? And so they got going, and uh, very first play of the game, bad snap, we recovered the fumble, and then Rod Gibson, that's right, Rod Gibson from Mississippi State recruiting right now, the guy that works in the Mississippi State recruiting office, scores a touchdown to give us a lead. And from there, it was over. Next thing you know, it's 32 to nothing. Wayne Mackin with 13 of 22. At that time, a season-high 257 yards, threw a couple touchdowns. Scott Westerfield had a couple field goals in the game. We put up 454 yards of offense, winning our eighth consecutive regular season game. How about that? The game was basically over at the half. You know, we basically put it away and then just kind of got behind the running game, salted the game away late. Chris Rainey of Amory High School, the pride of Monroe County. The quick start was really big. Our offense was kind of shaky last week. It was in that 17-0 one over South Carolina. We wanted to come out this week and work a little bit harder, and we did. Woody Woodenhofer said after their three-game winning streak was snapped, I'd say that that brought us back to earth. Our team has a lot of character. I expect we'll bounce back and get ready for the Citadel, and they absolutely did. They absolutely destroyed the Citadel the next week, 58 to nothing, kind of took out some uh, some frustration on them. And then they host Georgia. And, again, it's a competitive ball game. They lose 27-17. They beat South Carolina at Williams-Brice, 11-10. So you're right there with five wins with three to play. You're thinking, hey, we're right there. We just need a chance. And just about every game the rest of the way was competitive. They never got the sixth win. Before James Franklin got there, I believe they had not had a bowl game since 82. So they go to Florida, number five Florida. And you would say, okay, well, this is where the magic runs out. Dude, they lose in the swamp 13-6. Then they host Kentucky and lose 19-17. That was the one they had to have. They went to Tennessee and Phil Farmer the next week and get beat 38-10. So this is one of Vanderbilt's better teams. And, of course, they, they finished with just the five wins. But nobody beat them worse than Mississippi State did. Nobody scored more points on that Woody Wadenhofer defense. And if you don't know much about Woody, Woody was part of the, the, the Pittsburgh Steelers coaching staff that had those great defenses. Woody's a guy that knows defense. Vanderbilt just struggled to have offense, and that was the case this year. But 42 points Mississippi State scored, and we were not a great offense that year and got some help from some non-offensive play that day. But, uh, you know, State puts up more points than anybody in – in the league, really on their schedule. The, the, the only two teams that come close was uh, Ole Miss and uh, Tennessee. And so we win that ball game. And, again, our, again, build is one of the best, biggest home games in, in Vanderbilt football history. In many respects, this one is not like that. That doesn't mean that they don't think they're going to be able to win the ball game. So I wanted to kind of take you a trip down memory lane, one of our best teams playing one of their best teams. And even though State has kind of dominated this series, you know, we've played 23 times in total. We've got 14 wins. Uh, they've got seven. We have two ties. We have not lost to them since 04 in Nashville. And that was their first win against us since 1988. And every time Vanderbilt beats us, it is a surprise. The, the only lopsided game in their favor, uh, there's actually been two, 
1971, they beat us 49-19. And way back in 1904, Dave Murray was there covering the ballgame and selling popcorn. They beat us 61-0 over in Columbus. But outside of that, we have really dominated the series, especially as of late. You know, since 1989, we have lost just one time, and that was in 2004. And that's when, you know, we were still kind of figuring some things out. Uh, That was Jay Cutler, right? And so we haven't played these guys that often. You know, that's the thing you look at, too, when you, you look at the fact they're an SEC school and uh, we're on the best winning streak in our series history with them of four. And we've done that, we've done that three other times, I guess. But the current win streak is uh, four consecutive games. Dan Mullen played those guys just twice in the whole time he was here. And, of course, the 2014 year, that we, they came up here and we beat them 51 to nothing. So this is uh, – this is just the, third, the second meeting since then. And our first trip to Nashville since 2009, Dan Mullen's first year. That was Tyson Lee was our starter then. We won that ball game 15-3. to And you remember, it drizzled a little bit early in the ball game. They were all excited for it. And uh, we really struggled on offense, but we were so good defensively that year, they just couldn't match up with us athletically. I, I think it'll be the same this time, but the margin should be a little bit greater. But, again, we'll break Vanderbilt down much more uh, on Wednesday. Really excited about the ball game, and for all of you making the trip to Nashville, of course, I will be there. Uh, love being there. Love being in other SEC venues to watch the, uh, the Bulldogs play. Now, a couple things before we get out of here. I'm going to try to get some clarity for you guys, too. I had some people reach out yesterday and ask about masking at Vanderbilt. Now, when we went up there and played baseball – masks were required matter of fact they even had signs up it said text this number if you see somebody not wearing their mask very george orwellian but their football protocols for attendance that were announced preseason was that they were not going to be masked and so i haven't watched vanderbilt play on tv this year and, and if i've seen the highlights i haven't seen anybody in the crowd but based on what i have read there haven't been masks but we will get you know, it's funny we're still talking about that because the numbers are actually doing much, much better. So hopefully this thing is beginning to wane and will be behind us sooner rather than later. But I'll update that. If you guys see something, reach out, let me know. I'm happy to share it because, again, this is about us all kind of sharing information together to make sure we all have a good game day experience. But uh, Nashville is uh, my favorite southeastern conference city. Love going up there. There's so much that goes on in Nashville. It's a great place. It's not just the home of country music, but uh, a lot of music up there. So if you're, if you're going to get out and go to Broadway, go out and have a good time. 3 p.m. kick, SEC Network. It'll be an up and back for me. I look forward to getting up there and uh, seeing many of you guys. And, of course, as always, uh, seeing the Bulldogs hopefully go win a ball game and, and make us 4-3 and three and uh, kind of narrowing the gap for us, kind of giving us a little more margin for error than we would need two wins of the final five to ensure that we go to a bowl game and we have Tennessee State in our pocket. So I think we have a pretty good idea of what needs to happen. And step one in that, that process for the second half is to beat, Miss, to beat Vanderbilt this Saturday afternoon in Nashville. That's going to do it for today. It reminds you, too, it's cooler weather out there, too. And I, at least once a week, somebody messages me and says, hey, Steve, where do I get Starkville and shirts? Well, let me tell you, you don't get a Stark Villain shirt now. Get your Stark Villain hoodies at StarkVillains.com. Go check it out today, StarkVillains.com. You can get your black and white hoodies, your maroon and white hoodies. You'll be glad you did, and I'll be glad to see you wearing them. StarkVillains.com. And if you hadn't done so, go to DogpileTheBook.com and pre-order your copies of Dogpile. It'll be here 
sooner rather than later. Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we live more, make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live.